following through and we have Tom MacGyver coming to share today's message. Where are we? Are we in chapter five today? Ooh, chapter chapter five. five. Mm. Cool. I'll leave you to it. Thanks, Thanks. Tom. <laughs> Well, good morning, everybody. It is empty over this side, isn't it? Does some of you want to go on that side? Just to make it even today? No? Hey? Really? Do you have a good side? There, you do have a good side, Nick. It's good to be here with you this morning and uh, good to be journeying through Esther again. So many uh, great lessons in the book of Esther, and we're going to learn a couple more today as we go through um, the book. Um, so today. As I think of uh, this book, we're going to look at um, Esther's courage today. We're also going to look at Haman's pride. But as you look through the whole book of the Bible, I mean, it's a great book, isn't it? And I hope you make friends with this every day. It's a, just a great book to read. But as you read through the book, it's full of stories of courage. It's just a book of courage. But it's also, as you look through, you see um, pride coming through in people's lives and how they've fallen because of pride. And so today there's some... It's kind of contrasting stories with courage and pride, but um, we're going to see what we can learn from those today. As Craig has mentioned, you know, um, and as, I don't know whether Tina mentioned it last week, but um, the book of Esther doesn't use the name of God at all in it. But God's fingerprints are all over it. And um, you cannot help but see God's hand in the book of Esther so as, as you read the Bible as well, you know, always think of that as this is, it's not only God's love letter, but God's fingerprints are all over this book because he wrote it. And it's from him directly to us. How precious to have a book that comes from Almighty Creator to us that you and I can read and learn and glean from and also become friends with. Um, I'm going to pray too. Sorry, I didn't, Morgan, you pray beautifully, but I just need to pray for me, so... If you haven't prayed for yourself today, why don't you pray for yourself and ask God, maybe there's one thing he wants you to hear today. That would be really cool if, if um, you would hear that. Lord, Lord God Almighty, thank you you're present here today. Thank you that every one of us, Lord, you're uh, uh, passionate about. And Lord, we're probably all here, many of us here in different states today in our mind and our hearts. Uh, we've wrestled with different stuff this week. We've felt different stuff this week and... Right now, Lord, I pray that you'd just center us in on your word and, and help us to learn something. I pray that would help us to grow, to become more like the Lord Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a brief through the passage, if you haven't journeyed with us through Esther. Um, the stories of uh, begins with King Ahasuerus, and um, he dismisses his queen. He seeks to have another queen, and so he calls for um, another queen. Esther is chosen to be his queen. And then um, Esther is raised by, him, by Mordecai, who is her uncle, her parents somehow, they may, whether they died or they, something happened to them. So he picks her up and, and becomes her dad his, his, um, and her advisor. And part of his ad, ad, advice to her as she goes into the kingdom is, don't reveal your Jewish nature, don't re, sorry, your Jewish heritage. I don't want you to tell um, the palace about that. Um, further on the story, Mordecai saves a plot to uh, destroy the king. And so we'll come up with that story a little bit later in this, um, not today, but uh, possibly next Sunday. Um, 
Mordecai is strongly Jewish, and he's strongly um, has a detest for Haman, who happens to be in the palace and one of the key advisors in the palace. And Mordecai doesn't want to bow down to him. And as a result of that, Haman decides that he wants to get rid of Haman, and he has this plan to get rid of all Jews. Um, um, as Mordecai won't acknowledge who Haman is. It's actually a really interesting story as you read through the Bible. You know, the, the Jewish people is very central in the Bible, right? And actually in our world today, the, there's no nation that is more, um, more uh, what's the word, loyal to who they are than the Jewish people. You'll find them anywhere in the world, and they'll always let you know they're Jewish. And God's hand has always been on the Jewish nation, and he hasn't finished with them yet. But it's interesting as you go through history how the Jewish people have been, the devil has been seeking to annihilate the Jewish people. And we all know about the Second World War. That's pretty obvious to us. But here, right here in, in the book of um, Esther, Haman is trying to get rid of the Jews. He's obviously uh, directed by the devil himself because the devil wants to get rid of the Jewish people. God has a wonderful plan for them. So Mordecai um, ends up telling Esther about how Haman wants to get rid of the Jews and uh, that she needs to help. She's in the palace. She needs to help in rescuing the Jews from being destroyed. And so Esther agrees to help. Um, and so as I mentioned earlier, there's two key things that are coming out of this passage, and that's a, the, the issue of courage, Esther's courage, and also Haman's pride. Um, so as Esther gets to this point where she's, she's in the palace and she's not meeting with the king every day, she just goes to the king when she's called to the king. Um, but suddenly she realizes her responsibility to her people. We're in Esther chapter 5. Um, so that's where we're journeying through today. Up until now, Esther's quite passive, really, about her role. And we don't hear a lot about Esther as the queen. But now something has triggered in her mind. And, and it seems like Esther suddenly developed courage when she was kind of a passive queen. Um, she directs Mordecai to action and she calls him to fast for her because um, she has this major role. And it's interesting, if you read through the Bible, fasting and prayer are connected together often. And But here we don't hear prayer being mentioned at all. But I suspect that maybe prayer was happening at the same time. I have no reason to, to say that it had because it's not written in, in, in Esther chapter 5. But I suspect because she called him to fast that they were praying as well because they knew who their God was. Um, Esther realized her position of responsibility, and she realized that if she never acted, that the whole Jewish people could be, could be wiped out. And um, Mordecai even challenges her about that. If you, if you don't do something about it, you're going to be wiped out too, because I'll find out that you're a Jew. And so she prepares herself, and she, she seeks the support of others and those around her, and she calls them to, to fast as well. Three days later, and after they've started fasting and possibly praying, <laughs> Esther um, comes before the king, and she, she approaches the king. This was not done. The king would always, if he wanted someone to come to be with him, he would approach them. He would invite them. But here, uh, Queen Esther stands so that he can see, and, and she's basically saying, hey, I want you to ask me to come and talk to you. Um, and so, so Esther realizes all that Mordecai is saying and that she really needs to seek to go and see the king about what is happening. 
Um, so Esther is granted courage to, to request of the king and, and to come before the king, and he's, he, he offers her all this stuff. She obviously was a pretty big favorite of his. He offers her half the kingdom. If she, if whatever she wants, she can have. And so she says, he says to her, what do you want? And so she says, look, I just want you to come for a feed. Just want you and Haman, actually, to come for a feed. It's like, what's so special about that? But the king was delighted that Esther would, would have her um, invite him over for a, for a meal. And it wasn't just one meal, but it was two meals. Wanted him to come again. And, and, and the whole story is like... Um, God's hand is, is over this, and, and it's interesting, the wisdom, as you read through the story and you start to connect the dots, is how wise Esther is over this. You think, Esther's pretty passive up till now, but now suddenly she's given this huge dose of wisdom as to how to go about to rescue the Jews from the danger of, of Haman's plans. And again, God's name's not mentioned in the book, but God's hand is all over the story. And you know, sometimes in our lives we're we think that God is absent from our lives. We think we look around and we wonder where God is, but God is never absent from your life. And sometimes we wonder where God's hand is, but God's hand is always there. And in time, you can look back on your, on your story, and some of you have got a period of time to look back on your story. Graham has got quite a long way. He was telling me about his special card he has now. Such a privilege, Graham. Can't wait to get there. But you can look back on your story and see all the things that have happened, you think, now I get it. Some of you younger ones are wondering sometimes where God is, but God is in your story, and he's not absent. And you'll be able to look back over time and say, I understand now, I get it. God is not absent in your story. And so Esther is at this time, and she's acting pretty courageously, amazingly courageous woman. I can't think of a time in my life, really, when I've had courage like that. I can think of some times when I've rescued an animal when I was farming, and I think afterwards I thought, man, that was a crazy thing to do. I could have lost my life. I was on cliffs rescuing sheep or something like that, and I'm, I can remember a time now when I was thinking, good night, that was crazy. I tried to save a sheep, and I could have lost my own life, you know, but I think that's crazy courageousness. Um, um, but not the courageousness of, of Esther. Possibly there have been times in my life when I've had to be courageous. And I wonder, has there been times in your life where you've really been courageous? What does it mean to be courageous? And I think, too, uh, the other thing that about Esther is that she's courageous for the cause of righteousness. She's courageous for the cause of righteousness. And I think never, in a, uh, never has there been a time when Christians in New Zealand need to be courageous for the cause of righteousness. Courage, courage, the definition of courage is mental or, or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. It's often connected to bravery or, or being brave. Being courageous, I think we've got it up here on the screen. Do you want to check that one up? Jordan, you... Thank you. Being courageous is often thought of as facing such situations without fear, but it also involves facing them despite fear. So often courage, it involves fear. In other words, someone who is courageous might not be fearless, but they face the danger, difficult, or frightening situation anyway. Maybe there's been times when, when that's been you. Tina mentioned in, in, in verse 14 last week of chapter 
of chapter 4 that appears the greater purpose was that Esther was here for such a time as this to protect the Jews from annihilation in this province. And she asked the question of us, um, has God put you in this situation for such a time as this? And that was a really good question, Tina, that you asked us to consider in our own lives. Has God got you here for such a time as this? And I would say all of us are here for such a time as this. But it's understanding what has God got me here for for such a time as this? Many situations we face that are difficult involve great courage. And usually courage involves stepping out to make a difference in the lives of other people. And I think, as I said before, I think Kiwis are going to be asked to stand up and be courageous for righteousness' sake. I really admire Family First who are standing up and and making a stand for righteousness here. And right now there's legislation in in front of our, our country that's going to take away more privileges of a parent. And, and I wonder, as young parents, I don't know how many young parents we have here today, but it's been difficult to be a young parent. I'm glad in some ways that I'm not a young parent now because who has the right to parent your children? Well, must be, you must be asking questions. Do I have a right to parent my own children? We need to pray against that and pray for our young parents in our, in our, in our church today that they'll have courage to stand for what is right. It takes courage to stand for your faith. When, when God is asking you to share your faith with somebody else, do you have the courage to do that? I know, you know, I, I love sharing my faith, but I still get fear when it comes to sharing my faith. And just this last couple of weeks, I've had to say, Lord, I need courage to speak to these people who I've known for so long and I haven't spoken about Christ to them. And so God gave me that courage for that. And you know, as we cry out to God for courage, He can bring courage for the sake, or for all sorts of things, but certainly for the sake of righteousness. So I wonder what God might be asking you to be courageous about today. Is it talk to your husband or talk to your wife about something? To talk to your kids about something? To talk to a friend about an issue of character? To talk to your boss about an issue at work? Sometimes we're so fearful that we we miss the opportunity to put wrong things right. I know for Liz and I, sometimes we, we take time out and we actually go to a place of safety and we say, look, we're, today we're choosing to be safe with one another and to say whatever we need to say to one another. And other times we may not have the courage to say that, even as a husband and wife. I don't know whether you struggle with that, but certainly Liz and I have to actually make time where we can say, hey, this is a time when we can just actually speak to each other and say whatever we want That's with, with reasonableness. But, um, but the other person is not going to take offense at that because sometimes we need to provide that, that space of courage so that we can help one another. And it's been, a beautiful, it's been a beautiful time when we do that. So courageous talk has to be assisted by great wisdom as well and as well sometimes a, combina- a conversation with a wise friend to help us to know how should we be courageous at this time. And as we look at Mordecai, as we look at um, Esther, she's asking everyone to fast. I want you to help me in this journey. We're in this together. I need your help in order that I can be courageous before the king. So I wonder, what is God asking you to be courageous about? Is there something that you've been holding off to talk to someone about? 
And it's usually that step of fear, eh, to, to go and speak to that person and say, listen, I've got this issue, can we sort it out? Or I feel this has been happening in my life, or a child who's not behaving in a certain way, and you think, oh, I don't know whether I should say anything. And you think, I wished I'd said something. Hey, maybe God is asking you to be courageous about something today. And then we go to the story of Haman. Um, Esther's shown great courage to seek to rescue her people, and, and she's thought carefully about her approach. But now we go to, to Haman in, in verse 11 of chapter 5. Um, Haman, we have on one sense, we have Esther who's been really careful about being courageous. And then on the other hand, we have Haman who's been very careless and he's been prideful. And there's two contrasts here. He's been thinking carelessly and he's been acting carelessly, right? When we think carefully, we can act courageously and carefully. But Haman here, he's been thinking carelessly and it's all about him and his pride is coming to the full, to the fore and Haman's just full of himself. Wow, he says, Queen Esther has invited me to a party <laughs> to have a meal with her, just me and the king. It's like nobody else has been invited. Take a look at me. <laughs> he's just really just full of himself and as you read here um, in, in chapter 5, Sorry, we didn't even read the chapter. I was going to read the chapter at the beginning, but no doubt all of you have been very diligent in reading the chapter is with your bookmarks, so you'll know all about the story. Um, so um, Haman's, if you go to verse 11, he says, Then Haman told, got to, gets his friends together, verse 10, and his wife Zeresh. And then, he, then Haman told them, he, said, he, he starts to tell them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him before, her, uh, before the officials and the servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me. Wow, cool dude. <laughs> She's invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared in tomorrow. I'm again invited by her along with the king. Wow, take a look at me. It's a pretty important person I am. He's full of himself. Um, it says in Proverbs 21.1, when I was going through this passage, I was thinking in Proverbs 21.1, it's kind of a favorite verse of mine. It says, The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and like the rivers of water, he turns it whichever way he chooses. And unfortunately for Haman, he didn't get that. He said, he thought this life was about me. And when we, when we remember that our reference point is God, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and like the rivers of water, he turns it whichever way he chooses. There's not one of us here in this room probably who's, who hasn't been through a hard time in their life and a difficult time. And if you haven't been, guess what? It's coming to you. I'm sorry to say that. It comes to all of us. But the overriding picture is, if we remember Proverbs 21.1, it says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, he'll turn it whichever way he chooses. Haman was full of himself. And when you're full of yourself, you, you forget about who God is. And instead of remembering that God's hand was all over this, Esther had remembered that. Mordecai must have understood that. Um, but Haman didn't even know that. Um, as, as, as I was listening to... Uh, um, reading this passage in, about Haman here, I came across this quote 
from um, John Barrymore, who's a famous actor, and he said this, one of my chief regrets during my years in the theater is that I couldn't sit in the audience and watch myself. If anyone was full of themselves, maybe John Barrymore was. Um, and there's, the Bible speaks strongly about pride, and it's an insidious thing that kind of sits there with us, and we, we are not even realizing what it's doing in our souls. Um, Proverbs 16, 18 said, Pride comes before destruction and a proud spirit before a fall. It's a dangerous, dangerous place to be in. And maybe you know what that's been in, been like. I know what that's been like, to be in a place where, where pride has actually destroyed a, a section of my life. Galatians 6.3 said, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Be careful what pride might do to your soul. Jesus tells the story in Luke chapter 16 and Luke chapter 18, and you probably know the story well about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, where the Pharisee um, comes and he prays and he says, I thank God that I'm not like one of them or like him. He says, I thank God I'm not like an extortioner and just adulterer or this tax collector. And he beats his breast saying, God, you must be pleased to have me in your kingdom. And then the tax collector comes along and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus ends that little passage in, in Luke chapter 18 and he says this, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Are you looking for a position at work? Are you looking to raise your profile a little bit? Get your profile right with God and let him exalt you in due time if that's what he wants. Jesus said, for everyone who humbles himself will be, sorry, exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Haman didn't get this. He's going to get it, but the story's still coming, so I won't tell you about that. Psalm 7, verses 14 through 16 says, Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return, sorry, his trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. It's a dangerous thing not to understand our own minds and our own hearts and how we're working. And it's important to examine our hearts before God and say, God, where do I sit? Are there some secret little parts of me that actually want to exalt myself? And I've given you a little chart that you can look at at the end of the service and just examine your own life before that. I think of Isaiah 14 where, where the story is told of Lucifer, the greatest of God's angels, and he, he wants to overthrow God. And what do we read in, in, in Isaiah, 4, uh, Isaiah 14? Five times he says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. He wants to take over God. Pride over, overrides him and it actually destroys him. He says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the, what? The stars of God. Can you imagine even thinking that, let alone saying that? But he was so full of himself. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest parts of the pit. Satan has his day coming. 
No one can ascend above the heights of the clouds. No one can ascend beyond God or even be an equal with God. Satan, not only did he, he say all this about himself and was cast out of heaven, but he's still been working in this world to destroy you and I. And he's wanting us to be filled with pride because that's, that's going to annihilate us. And so we have to be very, very careful. Proverbs 5, 21 to 23 says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction in the greatness of his folly. He shall go astray. Read through Proverbs if you're not sure about pride, and it keeps reminding us over and over again the folly of a proud person. I remember when I was farming that um, often you'd be doing a job and you would gain the smell from the job. I don't know if that's how to put it, but if I was shearing sheep, I would smell like a shorn sheep or a wool shed. Um, If I was killing a sheep, I'd have the smell of blood on me. If I was killing, uh, skinning possums, I'd have the smell of possum. And as you're doing that over and over, you don't even recognize that you smell anymore because that smell is ingrained in you. And you come home to the house and Liz says, man, you stink. So that's not a very nice thing to say to your husband. But no, really, you don't realize the smell is upon you. Um, And I think sometimes as Christians, we smell of unrighteousness or self-righteousness. And sometimes it needs pointing out to us. We don't even realize that we get into the habit of living a certain way and thinking a certain way and acting a certain way. And we don't even realize that it's not in accordance with how God would want us to live. And sometimes we need others to point out and saying, hey, you smell of self-righteousness. The ways that you're acting are not honoring to God. You need to stop here and take a step back and, and look into the mirror of the word and say, ask God how he wants you to to act. Pride assures us that we are not bad. It's so easy to justify ourselves. I was just talking to someone this morning about someone they'd seen this morning, and I was just talking about the fact that, you know, sometimes we can elevate ourselves and think that we're pretty good. And that those other people are less than us. It's an insidious thing that gets into us. Pride assures us that we're not so bad. Pride can be respectful and morally right. So as a human being, we can think, man, I'm pretty good, and I ain't behave like that person. So we start to elevate ourselves, and we say, hey, I'm morally right. I'm quite a respectful person. Pride will certainly not give Christ his rightful place in our lives. And if you want to remain a proud person or arrogant or not listen to what others are saying to you, you're not going to have Christ in his rightful place in your heart. He who humbles himself will be exalted, not who, he who is proud. Pride will keep life um, revolving around ourselves. Life will be about you. Life will be about your needs. Life will be making sure that you are secure. You won't consider the person next door. You won't consider, consider other people who are less off than you and start to share what God has given to you to, with them. Pride will keep life revolving around yourself. 
Pride will keep us from hearing what we need to hear, and that's one of the worst possible things that you can hear that can happen to you. If someone comes and speaks to you, and you say, no, no, you don't know what you're talking about, that's the worst possible response you can have to some wisdom that is spoken to you, whether it's wisdom or just words. I always say when, I, when I'm talking to young people, if someone comes and speaks to you, listen to it. Even if you don't agree with it, just listen, and then go away and think about it for a little bit, And if you need to, go and ask a wise, don't ask a friend, ask a wise person, maybe your friend is wise, but ask someone who's outside of your immediate circle to say, hey, what do you, someone said this to me, what do you think about that? If you go to your friend, your friend's going to pat you on the back and say, nah, that's not you. But sometimes we have to go outside of that circle and say, hey, someone said this to me and I just really want to make sure that I get this right. Is this what you think God might be saying to me? That takes courage. That takes courage to ask someone to speak into your life like that. But pride will keep you from hearing the things that you need to hear. It's very important. So what do we need to do in our lives in order to, I guess, to, to recognize or how to, how to go forward with, without pride tripping us up? And I'd say the first thing that we need to do is recognize the source of pride. For Haman, he just wanted to be high in the kingdom. He wanted to exalt himself. He wanted everybody to know how great he was, and he didn't mind telling everyone how great he was. So I wonder, is, is pride part of your life? Is there some insidious little part of your life that's being prideful? Instead of humility, humility taking that rightful place? Is there a sense in which you're not serving your husband and wife, your husband or your wife like you should, or you're serving your children or your uncle or auntie or whoever you live with, your flatmate? Is there a sense in which you're saying, no, I have a right to this? Whenever I'm at home and I'm really challenged by Ephesians 5, where it says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And any time that I'm trying to be, I'm thinking about selfishness, and I don't get it right all the time, but more often than not, the Lord just takes me to Ephesians 5. Are you loving your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it? Are you being a true servant? Or do you say, no, you know what? I have a right to this. I'm the man in this house. Or I have a right to this. I'm the woman in this house. I have a right to this because all of us flatmates are all equals together. (laughs) I have a right to this because I'm the father or the mother. And we kind of put ourselves up and say, I have a right. And that's partly... an overriding factor of what pride is. We have a right to actually be in a position. I don't read that about Christ himself. Go to Philippians. We haven't got time to go there today. But he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And we're going to remember that shortly. I wonder, is the attitude or the mind of Christ part of who you are? Or are you in charge of your mind and your heart? So we need to recognize, is there a source of pride in my life? And that little chart, you can read through it, and it's actually a little bit convicting. Well, it was for me. As I put it together, and and as you look at that, maybe that's a little examination that you can look at today. And if you recognize that, hey, you know, there is an issue of pride in my heart. You've got to repent of that. That's sin. The Bible calls it sin. It's anti-God. 
It's anti-humility. It's anti the example of Christ. And so repent of that sin and then submit to God and come and tell God about it. Lord, or even if you're not sure, say, Lord, if there's any issue of pride in my life, can you reveal that to me today? Can you show me what it is? Because I just want to submit to you. I don't know about you and your life, but I want my life to be recognized as someone who submits to God. Doesn't always, I don't always get it right, but I want that to characterize who I am because there's no safer place for us to be in than submittance to the authority and the power and the demonstration of God in our lives. And then the other thing that I would say is be accountable. Let others speak into your heart and be careful not to defend yourself too quickly. Listen carefully. Listen with both ears. Listen with an open heart and then you allow others to speak into your heart. And then ask others to be honest with you. Would you dare go to your husband or your wife today and say, hey, would you be really honest with me? Do you think there's any issues of pride in my heart? Go to your good friend. Go to your mum or dad. Even though some of you are older, you've still got parents around that are alive. And you go and ask them, do you think there's an issue of pride? Because, you know, often as parents, they get shut out from speaking into their kids' lives at a kind of a certain age. And so we tend to back off and we say, okay, God, you've got to do all this because I can't say anything anymore. But you know what? If you went to your parent and you humbly said, you know what? I'd really love you to, to tell me, do you think there's any issues of pride in my life? I remember my dad spoke to me about that when I was first working for him. I still remember that today. It's a good question to ask. Ask others to be honest with you. And so I've passed out a questionnaire. I don't know if you've all got a copy of that um, that got handed out at the door today. But it's just a good little list to go through. And it says, I compare myself to others and tend to feel superior. Is that part of who you are? I let my great knowledge of good or good skill in an area of life cause me to think less of some others or to judge them. You know, if you have a high position at work, you've got to be careful with that position. Be careful with that knowledge that you have, that you don't look down on others who are not so in your position. I shift the blame and point out other people's faults. Is that what you tend to do? I cover up and excuse my own sins. I minimize my sins by calling them mistakes or claiming no one is perfect. I get angry when my parents or someone else in authority corrects me. I offer help to others but refuse to receive help from others to myself. I'm good enough to look after me. I seek out congratulations or affirmation from others for the good things that I do. I excuse my behavior because of the position I hold. I make lists, even mental lists, of my accomplishments. I feel like God will love me more for going to church, for reading my Bible, and for praying. I let my inferiority complex cause me to be critical of others. Not many spaces here, eh? I think I fit into one or two of those. I wonder, are there any things there that right now you would need to say to the Lord, Lord, I think that's me. Would you help me to deal with this in my heart and in my life and help me to submit to your authority in my life? Let's just bow in prayer.
And if any of those things have come to your mind this morning and you need to confess that to God and, and ask him to forgive you for that or to deal with that, um, why don't you do that now? Or even just open your heart to God and say, God, is there an issue in my heart where pride is just taken over and I'm not really aware of that? Maybe you're not out there like Haman and telling everyone how great you are, but there's this insidious thing in there that, that's just secretly in there and you're not submitting to God in that area. Lord, you know our hearts better than we know them ourselves and sometimes we want to hide away our hearts from others even seeing them and we kind of feel like, Lord, that we can even hide our heart from you and it's kind of weird. Forgive us for that, Lord. Open, Help us to open our heart to you today. And Lord, if there's any issue of pride in our heart or in our life that you want us to sort out, help us to do that, I pray. And Lord, if you're asking us to be courageous in an area this week, I pray, Lord, that you would cause... Um, I pray for parents, Lord, of young children, that you'd help them to be courageous leaders of their children. Lord, I pray for those who have important positions in our society that you would help them to be courageous to stand for righteousness' sake. And I do pray for our Christian parliamentarians, Lord, that you would give them courage to stand up for what is right. Lord, help us as a, a nation of Christians, those of us who are Christians, Lord, to stand for righteousness' sake, that we would not hold back and speak what we believe the Bible is saying to be true. Thank you, Lord, for the lessons from Esther and from Haman. Not all of them good lessons, but Lord, help us to learn from them and to grow from them, I pray in Jesus' name.